Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession. Man, I love that. We should just stop right there, right? No? Got to keep reading. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits you. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Does that mean the HOA? Not the HOA, right? No, that's... Every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, for it's God's will that by doing good, you have an opportunity to silence ignorant talk that's against you. Live as free people, but don't think that that freedom means that you can just do whatever you want. In fact, we are free because of our life in Christ, but we actually allow ourselves to be slaves to his goodness and to his mercy and to his grace. And so even though we're free, he still tells us, live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then skip down to verse 21. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. That you should follow in his steps. He who committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And he wanted this church to know that by his wounds, we will be healed. And even as we remember Teddy, she's healed today. His wounds have made her whole. And his wounds are making you whole today, either on this side of heaven or on the other. I've entitled this message this morning, I Serve at the Pleasure of the King. I Serve at the Pleasure of the King. Y'all ready? Can we take off today and have some fun? Randy and Debbie are back in the saddle. It's just good you're in the second row. I just feel like I can preach today because you're back. You know, all my friends, man, it's so cool that you're here this morning. My parents are in the house. It's just going to be fun, so no pressure for me. And uh, it's going to be a blast. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much, God, for my friends that are here in this room. God, I ask that, Lord, that you would download in this church, God, what you've downloaded in my heart. God, I thank you that you know how to go way beyond a man's message and speak to every heart in here. Lord, we didn't just show up to have church. God, we want to be your church. Help us today. Help me to convey what you want me to convey. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. How many of you have a family? That's everybody. All right. You can lift your hand if you want. Thank you for being amenable to me. I, I don't know your family, but I know something about your family, all right? I know that your family is 
crazy. Yes, not the family next to yours, your family is crazy. And if you're here today and you say, no, I don't think my family's crazy, well then you're the exception and you're not normal and every, everybody else in the room would like to tell you two things. Number one, just live a little bit longer, all right? Because it's coming. The craziness is on its way. And secondly, just look a little closer because you haven't been looking close enough, all right? Your family is crazy. What I know about your family and every family is that, come on kids, just, we can relate with this, right? Is that every family has their own unique values and their weird ways of expressing those values, right? I mean, just everybody's got values and weird unorthodox ways to others on how they express those values. Well, at the Wolf House, it is no exception. We, uh, we have many values, and I could go on and on and on. And I told somebody, I, I, actually, I talked to my parents about this a little bit, and we had so many, we were rolling in our living room laughing about this message. And uh, I had said, I got to save this because I'm going to like be at this church for like the next 20 years. And so I can't give every illustration in one sermon. I got to spread them out. So I'm only going to give you one weird thing today. And uh, over the time, maybe we'll hear more about them. Uh, but I, we have a value, kind of two values. Is, is one is a value of frugality. And we also have a value of efficiency. In other words, we are very good and we pride ourselves on our ability to be cheap. And since we're efficient, we're really good at being cheap. Can anybody else relate with me? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, when we go to Golden Corral, it is no longer about enjoying a meal. It is about sticking it to the man because he should have made it that much more expensive. We are getting our money's worth today because we are frugal and we are efficient at being frugal. Now, when I was in fifth grade, I just thought we were cheap. Now, my dad would say we had a long-term plan and a Roth and retirement plan and goals and we're going to live like no one else. We can live like... I know, but I didn't know all that at the time, okay? So I just thought we were just cheap and really good at it. I remember one time we, uh, we were, this happened so many times, it just cracks me up. And my dad is amazing, so I'm going to throw him under the bus for a second. He said, actually, my dad told me, he said, well, as you do this, you know that one time you're going to give me the mic on Sunday morning, and I'm going to take a whole message, and I'm going to throw you under the bus, son, so just know it's coming. I said, okay, dad. And uh, so uh, we are, we, I remember being in fifth grade, played a lot of sports growing up, and parents, you may be able to relate with this. And uh, my, we're all at, at, at McDonald's, because that's where all athletes go. <laughs> and we're at McDonald's, we're at Mickey D's, and we're all in line, right? I'm in fifth grade, I'm hanging with my home dogs and all of our parents. And so we're there, and all of my friends are supersizing their value meal. And so immediately, right, I'm getting giddy. I'm like, dude, come on now. Right? So I lean over to my dad, and I'm like, hey, dad right? Y'all know where this is going. Hey, can, can I supersize my fries, right? He looks back at me. Uh, no joke. He did this so many times with me, I can't even tell you. So he looks back at me and he goes, son, if you don't eat every single one of those fries, I will never supersize your value meal ever again. So let me ask you, son, do you want to supersize your value meal, right? Now I'm like, I got no idea. I mean, I'm not even sure if I'm hungry anymore. Like, you know, 
In other words, my dad's going, listen, we've got a retirement plan and either you're gonna make it in the NBA and you're gonna be my retirement plan or I'm doing this thing on my own. And at this moment, based off of how you just played, I'm on my own. And in other words, what my dad was saying was, I know that everybody else values getting extra fries and maybe, buy, maybe eating them or not, but we're not like everybody else. And if you're gonna be my son, then we have values that are a part of our family. And we may have weird ways of expressing those values, but that's the family that you're in. And I wanna be clear today, son, that our values are not the same as everybody else's values. And I felt like God brought me here today to tell you that son or daughter, you are not everybody else. And I know that everybody else may want to value size their meal, but you are not everybody else. And everybody else might be cheating on their taxes and not tithing and not forgiving and not living a godly life and looking at immoral images and not treating their spouse correctly and not honoring God with their commitments and not being truthful with, their, with what they're doing, but you're not them. And this is exactly what Peter is expressing here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me explain a little bit of the context so that we can fully understand what's happening. And if you've been here the last few weeks, maybe you already know some of this. The early church Christians are excited about the gospel, but now they are fearing for their lives, in which the excitement now is dwindling and it's turning into fear. They're under an emperor named Nero, and this emperor is a horrible leader. He's horrific. I mean, literally, to, the, to every ounce of that definition, he is a horrific leader. He, he, he literally, if you, if you read the story and if you read history books about Nero, he literally would take Christians and he would pour oil on them, light them alive on fire. This is no joke. Light them alive on fire to bring light outside of his home at night. He got a kick out of hearing the cries of Christians screaming as they're dying and flesh is peeling off of them outside of his home. Not only was he a horrific leader, he was a bad leader. He made, he made bad political decisions. And so not only is he killing Christians, he's blaming Christians for every bad decision that he makes because he's able to, because this, this movement of the gospel is just on its rise. And so as you can imagine, just like anybody else, these Christians have every right culturally to not submit to authority. They have every single right to stick it to the man and not do what God is calling them to do. Not only does culture say it's okay, their flesh is telling them that it's okay. Yet in this story, Peter, as the pastor of these people, is addressing them to tell them that it's not God's will to smite your authority. And even though everybody else might do that, that is not what you do. And, and, and look at what he says in verse 9, if, if you're there. He reminds the people of God, and I pray that God, by his spirit, is reminding you today. He reminds them of who they are. Because at the moment, they're feeling like a rejected sect of people that made a mistake in believing in this God named Jesus. And look at what he does. He clarifies their identity. He basically says, I know that everybody else would do that, but you're not them. And I think more highly of you. 
And even though you ought to, within culture, do that, I'm telling you something different because you're a part of my family. Look at what he says in verse nine. You there? Can I get some water at some point? Verse nine, he says, you are a chosen people. Maybe you don't feel like it today, but you are a chosen person. Would you look to your neighbor real quick to say you're chosen? Come on, tell them. I love that awkwardness. Some of y'all didn't even participate. No, I got you, I got you, I see you there. You're a royal priesthood. Isn't that amazing? You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. You know what you're, you're called to do? Not look like culture. You're called to declare God's praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're not just a worker at a cashier. You're not just a business owner. You're not just an executive. You're not just a mom. You're not just a city church attender. You're a royal priesthood. God thinks more highly of you than you could ever imagine. And don't let your pain or adversity or trial define who you are. Jesus does. He gets the final say. Then he goes on to say, once you were not a people, but now you are. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's break this down. Are you all with me this morning? I say, you all with me this morning? Thank you, Brandon. All right, here you are. This is you, okay? You got a big head. And all the wives are like, dude, that's my husband up there. Wow, that's amazing. How did you clarify his physique so well? This is you, and you are cool. You are really cool. Look to your neighbor, just tell him you're cool. Just tell him you're cool, man. You are, you are cool, right? <laughs> the same people that didn't participate the first time still didn't participate. They are not participating. It's okay. Everybody else will. You're cool, right? You are living life. You're living life to the best of your ability, right? You are a product of the culture that's around you. And so you're just, you're, you're, you're trying to be good and we're doing things. And so let's just talk about some big things in life, right? So at some point you think, man, I want to get married, right? And so uh, maybe you get married and then you ask yourself, why did I get married? <laughs> Honey, I love you. If you're watching online, you're just a great person. She's at home with our daughter today. Hey, uh, or, and then all of a sudden you say, uh, you know what? We should have some kids. Then you have kids, and you know what you say to your spouse, right? Why did we get kids? Who's, this is your child, this isn't my child, right? And then we're living life, and we're trying to figure out our retirement, and how we're going to, is Social Security going to be around, or is it not going to be around? And how is this all going to work out? And where do we put our stuff at? And how do I, and so we're, then we're trying to be successful, but then who defines success? Do you define success? Does culture define success? Does God? I would think him. That's a whole other message. We're trying to be good. Who defines what's good? Who def is it you? Is it culture? Is it God? I would say it's God, right? And you are living your life, and you are building your kingdom. You're building your kingdom, and I don't know if you know this, but your kingdom is a part of the worldly kingdom. If you're taking down any notes, this is a good fundamental message today for you. This is your kingdom, and if I could define worldly kingdom, it's this. If you're taking down any notes, a worldly kingdom is anything that's contrary to God's plan and his purposes. 
It's anything, anyone that's, that's contrary to God's plan and his purposes. And we are a product of our flesh. We are born into sin. We are born into this worldly kingdom. But did you know that there is also a godly kingdom? Let's write this out. Y'all with me? Cool. There's also a godly kingdom. And how do we define godly kingdom? Well, it's almost just the exact opposite, right? It's, it's anything that's submitted to God's plan and God's purposes. So worldly kingdom is contrary. Godly kingdom is submitted. You say, where do you get that from? How is that in the Bible? It's all over the Bible. In fact, let me just show you so clearly in John 18, 36, Jesus uses this kingdom language, right? He says, Pilate comes to him. Pilate is the main person in charge at this time. He can't figure out this Jesus. He can't, like, he's healing, he's doing good, his movement is growing. Who is this guy? Why is everybody so upset with him? And so he's trying to figure him out. And listen to how Jesus responds to him here in verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. That's how he responds. If it were, I would be doing this a lot differently. If it were, this may look like the world, right? If you know anything about the gospel, it's not that Jesus came in, you know, uh, with, with the guns ablazing and a sword and came to conquer all. In fact, he came to serve. And actually, we found victory within servanthood. It's completely opposite of how our government is, is designed, right? It's the person that's most empowerful, most person that's going to get there. And, he, and the biggest nation with the biggest guns and the biggest stuff, that's, how, that's contrary to the gospel, and he says, and basically, let me, let me keep going on. He says, I, I, would have, uh, I would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is of another place. In other words, he's telling Pilate today, Pilate, I recognize that you have a kingdom, and I recognize your position in that kingdom, but I don't serve at the pleasure of your kingdom. I serve at the pleasure of the king. And I, I am imploring you as one of the pastors here to be a follower of Jesus that would look whatever authority, whatever situation, whatever context in the eye and say, you know what? I don't serve at the pleasure of, of the worldly kingdom. I serve at the pleasure of the king. And the, and the values of my father are not the same values of what this public school system would say or what our government might say. And just because government legalizes it doesn't mean our father is legalizing it. And there is a difference between the godly, our godly kingdom in our worldly kingdom. And so back to you, you are living your, your life, right? And so you're here, and, 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 and you have been building your kingdom. And I don't know if you know this, but Romans 3 and Romans 6 would tell us that your kingdom results in sin. Because when you're building your own kingdom, you are, that is, in, sin is literally anything that's in contrary to God's purposes and God's plan. And you were never designed, God never made you to build your own kingdom. He made you to be a part of his. But we have turned away from God. We have been building our own kingdom, and I'm here to tell you that it's sin before a holy God. And there is no way that we can become right with God on our own. You cannot work your way into God's kingdom. It is, you can't tithe your way into God's kingdom. You can't attend your way into God's kingdom. You can't serve your way into God's kingdom. The only way you come into God's kingdom is because of what God has done for you. And God sent his son, Jesus, over 2,000 years ago. And he paid the price 
for the sin that you've committed in your own kingdom. In fact, he goes on to say, there's so many parallels here, but he goes on to say, I've overcome this world. In other words, I've overcome every destruction, disease thing that this world can throw at us, including your own kingdom. He has paid the price for what you and I deserve on the cross. This is called the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel. That anybody and everybody, even though you've spent your whole life building your own kingdom, and even though it's sin before a holy God, God in his grace and his mercy has sent his son by his spirit to pay the price for you, and he, he overcome that price on the cross. And anybody believes that Jesus rose again on the third day, anybody believes in him, you are saved. And you receive the gospel. And that's what he's saying here. You were once not a people, but now you are a people. You were once, you didn't, at one point you didn't receive God's mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. You know what happens? You are a new creation. And now you're here today, and this is you. And if you've never made that decision, I pray that today you do. So here we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, and this is, this is where the Christians are in 1 Peter. They've been saved, yet they still, they're a part of a godly kingdom. Can you see this? But they're also living in a worldly kingdom. And this becomes the tension that a lot of the New Testament talks about, and the tension that I'm sure you can nod your head and agree with. There's a great battle between, for you, on who you're going to submit to. Will you submit tomorrow morning? As you late present your marriage and your ministry and your finances and your calendar and your life to God, are you going to submit to God's kingdom or are you going to submit to your own kingdom, to the worldly kingdom? And just this worldly kingdom will lead to destruction, but it's also going to lead to emptiness. And anybody that's lived long enough in the worldly kingdom can agree. And you know what happens? Many people, they, maybe they don't even ever hear about the godly kingdom. And so you know what happens? They, they give up on who God really called them to be. They make excuses on why they feel the way they do. They go ahead and settle with how things are just always going to be. And they end up self-medicating. And they make excuses why they are never able to get here. But that's never what God called you to do, is to cover up your, your, your worldliness and sin and just try to get by. He's called you to surrender all of it over to God and let him renew you and give you new strength give you a new spirit, give you a new home. And so this is the battle that you face. Who are you gonna serve? And I pray that you would boldly with your life, not just today at the end of this message, but you would boldly with your marriage say, God, I serve at the pleasure of the king. I, I recognize the battle and I choose to serve at your pleasure because I'm a part of your family. And Lord, I still wanna value, supersize my value meal. Hey, let's look at what, what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says. We just read 9 and 10. Let's read 11. Look at the language she uses here. Everybody with me? Dear friends, I'm urging you. I'm imploring you. I'm throwing exclamation points everywhere I can. Strong emoji, strong emoji, strong emoji. As foreigners and exiles, once again, what is he saying? You're a foreigner to this world now. You're an exile to this world now. You, this isn't your home anymore. You may work at Walmart, but Walmart ain't your home anymore. Your address might be in Sanford, but Sanford ain't your address anymore. You, your, your 401k and your, your retirement might be in something, but the truth is that your ultimate retirement is not here on this earth. 
And when you breathe your last breath, this is home for us now. We are foreigners here. We are exiles. We are different. We should feel different. And if we don't watch it, man, we, we, we find ourselves wrapped up in the world so much that we start thinking like the world. We start doing things like the world. We believe like the world. We doubt like the world. And God never called us to be worldly. He called us to be godly. And his spirit wants to fill us. I love that. And then he says to abstain from sinful desires. In other words, abstain from building your own kingdom. Abstain from doing your own thing. Abstain from what culture says is popular. Abstain from doing the things that you know are not wrong, are are not right. And, And instead, what does he say? He says, abstain from sinful desires. He says, they are waging war, the Bible says in verse 11, against your soul. Your soul is at stake here. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then I love verse 13. Peter drops a hammer. Y'all ready for this? Good, thank you. I'll just preach to you over there. It's cool. Everybody else fell asleep on me. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That word submit in the Greek is hupotasso, which means to submit to one's control. It's a verb. I'll talk about that in just a second. But then for the Lord's sake, those four words, the Greek word is actually kurios, which means to he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has power of deciding. Then it goes on to say master, Lord. That Greek word of submission is a verb. And the Greek word of for the Lord's sake is a noun. What's interesting is that our English translated one Greek word into four English words. It's a pretty rough translation, to be honest with you, because this, that Greek word is used hundreds of times. And you know what that Greek word basically, if I could paraphrase it, what it means more in context is basically God's a boss. He's a man. He, God is God. Like, did you notice, if I could even write this out, right? So submit is a verb, but for the Lord's sake, I love this whiteboard. Can you even read that? It's horrible. Is a noun. In other words, our job is to actively, it's a verb. We never stop submitting. But did you notice that his position It's a noun. In other words, it's done. It's finalized. In other words, our our submission doesn't require his his lordship to be to, to hit our standards. It doesn't even, there's nothing more to talk about. He is God. Him alone, because of how good and how amazing he is, he is worth every ounce of us to submit to to him. We don't come back to him and go, God, I'm not submitting until. God, I'm not submitting until you figure this out and this thing, until these three things line up. I need, submit, I need your part to be a verb, God. I need you to start moving before I'm gonna start moving. No, no, that's not what the word says. Your job is the verb. He's God all by himself. He is Lord. He is king. And you and I, it's our job to submit to his lordship. It's our job to be a church, to be a people that live our lives for the Lord's sake. We're just, I mean, we are for the Lord's sake. We are for him. We're not for ours. We don't live for ourselves anymore. 
We're not living just to please culture. I don't care about what the other soccer mom is saying or doing or driving. I don't care anymore. I care about her soul because I'm about the Lord's sake. So God, get me in a position to speak into her life so that she can end up at City Church and go to the growth track and get involved in a small group and get water baptized and get on our dream team and start making a difference somewhere else in this globe and in this community. God, use us for your, for your sake is what I want. And so you might be here today and you say, well, I guess I got to submit. I wish I wouldn't have shown up to church today. I was hoping for that Joel Osteen stuff, man. Bless God, you're doing good. Love you, Lord. You're good. He's good all the time. Should have stayed home. I needed that pillow preacher today. I guess I got to submit. But you know what? Obviously, that's the wrong attitude, right? <laughs> you, we get to submit. Let's not forget where we came from. In fact, I'm, we're going to receive communion at the end of here because I just don't want us to forget how good we got it. I'm not saying you're not going through trials. This is what this letter is all about. These... I don't know exactly who he's writing to, but I would think many of these, of these early church Christians, most of them were martyred. They died. Yet he's, in other, in other words, he's giving this message of hope because this world can't touch us. And just because, I, I would say the biggest takeaway, I'm walking out of, the, out of First Peter, and I hate to say this before the book is over, is that your trials don't give you permission to sin. That's what he's saying. Like, just because you got a bad diagnosis doesn't mean you're allowed to now get on the internet and sin against your wife. Just because you, just because you lost your job doesn't mean that now you can, you can cheat on your taxes. Just because things are tight doesn't mean that, you, that all of a sudden you get a pass and you just not put God first because, because that's not God's kingdom. And isn't that what he's saying? He's saying, guys, I know that you have every right to, in the cultures, everybody around you, Facebook would tell you, you could find articles to back it, right? And everybody would tell you that it's okay, man. Just give in to that. Just start drinking that thing. Just start doing that pill. Just start, just start talking that talk. It's okay. You can text her a little bit. It's okay. You can text him a little bit. It's not going to hurt anything. You're going through so much. It's fine. No. None of it's okay. He's a holy God. And we get to submit. And you know, there's such a blessing of God when you're under his submission. There is a blessing of God. And the truth is, you're gonna, walk up tomorrow, you're gonna wake up tomorrow and you can either come to God and you can say, God, this is your kingdom that I'm building today or it's my kingdom. And I'm telling you that if you would say, God, I'm gonna build your kingdom, all of hell is gonna be nervous about what you're doing. And you want... Would you like to see revival in this city and in our county? Let me tell you, it's not when your preacher starts preaching better points. It's when you start doing this. You want revival in your family? You know what revival is? It's reviving what? Godliness against worldliness. And man, when you take a stand for God and his sake and what he's doing, who knows what's going to happen? You know what? Tomorrow, God has a plan for your day. And you can say the words of Jesus or you can say your own words. You can either say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Or you can say, God, not my will, but my will be done. Come on, man. Let's be people 
that would just live our lives in a way that we would just say, man, I'm going to put God first. You know, verse 13 and 17, I don't, I don't have time to read it, but he, he, he's a good pastor here. You can read it later. And he addresses the issue of authority because that's what the early church Christians were walking through. They didn't want to, they did not want culture and their own selfish desires wanted to, to not submit to authority, right? But let me be a good pastor here and let me ask you, because that may not be what you're going through today. You may not be having an issue with authority, but there might be other areas in your life that you're not, li you're not living for the Lord's sake. You're not submitted to the King. So let me ask you some questions. Are you submitted to God's kingdom? And if not, what areas in your life are you not submitted to? And would you be bold enough to say, God, I recognize those. God, forgive me of those. God, that's not who I am. I'm, I'm reminded by our pastor today that, that God, this isn't my home. God, forgive me for, for taking up residence. This is really just a tent that I'm living in for a little bit. And, and there will be another day where I'm gonna be at my ultimate home. And God, forgive me. I, I started building, building a pool and jacuzzis and I've got extra rooms. And God, I just, I've, I've gotten so worldly. God, it's just not, it's not me. That's not who I am anymore. So God, would you, would you fill me with your spirit? God, I just turn from that stuff today. And I put you first. And here's the biggest takeaway I want to give to you today, all right? If you don't get anything else out of today, get this. Next, I think we're all in agreement that there's a great tension between this, right? There's a great tension between the fight to build your own thing and the fight to build God's thing, right? Tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday, when you feel that urge of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, knowing that you're supposed to do something right and you wanna do something wrong, here's what I want you to do under your breath. I just want you to say, you know what? I serve at the pleasure of the King today. Just real quick, guys or, or girls, you're here and maybe, maybe you found yourself addicted to pornography. Next time you get in front of that computer, I, just, I, I know it might be challenging, I know it's gonna be awkward, but you're gonna say, you know what? I serve at the pleasure of the King. And you know what happens after that? You still don't wanna, you still don't wanna do what God's calling you to do, am I right? Hey, can we be real? right? So here's the follow-up question. Holy Spirit, transform my heart to learn to love what you love. God, I know that this is wrong, and I know that this is right. I want to do what's wrong, but Lord, I choose today to die to my flesh and to submit to you. And Lord, I'm asking, because listen, it's not by works that you're going to become more godly. It's by more surrender. It's just, it's by surrendering more. It's not by working harder. And so God, I just surrender this. God, I, I want I want to look at that. I want to do that. I want to cheat here. I want to think this thing. I want to say that bad thing about him or her. But God, I know that's not right. So Lord, would you, would you, would you by your spirit, transform my mind like the Bible would say in Romans 12. And I'm telling you, if you get this today, this could transform your life. There could be so much discipleship out of this one little thought here. It could revolutionize your leadership. It could revolutionize your marriage. It could revolutionize your life. So here's a question as I close. What would it look like if we did this today? Come on. What would it look like if you did this today? What would it look like if your marriage, maybe, you, maybe this week you get it with your spouse and just go, hey, that was a crazy message, huh? What do you think about it? What's, are there areas that maybe I'm missing that maybe we've been a little bit too worldly on that you're calling me to, us to and, Man, let's, let's become more godly. Let's become more grateful. 
I want to tell you today, church, you can. You can do this. You can. You, God has given you his spirit, and it is a constant struggle, but you can overcome. And I believe that you will if you would open up your heart and your lives. We would bow our hearts before him and surrender to him. I encourage you today, man, let's serve at the pleasure of the king. Amen. Would you stand to your feet and can we pray together? Jesus, we recognize that you are the Son of God. God, the Jews expected a king as their Messiah. You chose to come as a servant. You chose to incarnate yourself as a baby. And you allowed sin on your body. And you took our sin and our pain. You overcame it three days later. Now you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And we know, because of your word, that you are coming back as that king. And your word says that you're making a place for us. That's our heavenly home. And so, Lord, today we we remember that we are foreigners. We are exiles. We once were not a part of your family, but now we are. And Lord, today I pray as I extend an invitation of salvation, God, if there be one person in this room that is not a part of your kingdom today, that they would bow their heart before you and say yes to you and say no to their flesh and enter into this glorious union with you. In Jesus' name, amen.